Boom. We're live, guys. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. I feel welcomed. <laughs> Ten minutes on the phone beforehand. That's all you needed, right? That's it. Let's go. Now you're ready. I'm, I, I am as ready as I'm going to be, which your mileage may vary. It's awesome. Well, we're psyched to have you here. I, I was I was mentioning before before we kind of get rolling here that uh, yeah, when I was on the supply side and got into the actually got into the business on the supply side doing the gift packaging, I had no idea how the business even worked. And going to do pitches to distributors was was pretty challenging, you know. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of overcoming challenges and stuff, but mm -hmm. on the, on the career front, that definitely was, uh, was a tough sales pitch, especially as a small new supplier. Absolutely. So anyhow, Bill, Bill what, uh, what, what's the setup there you got going? This looks like a, a pretty fancy studio, not like a side gig or something. No, it's my office. I do a, a podcast every week with my friend Kirby Hossaman. Um, called Promo Up Front. We've done a podcast every week for over five and a half years now. And uh, it just seemed like a good idea to get something that made me feel a little more Howard Sterny. I can move this around a little bit and get angry. And Mike loves oh, Howard Stern and he loves to drop <laughs> F-bombs. No, we're not doing that, Josh. That's not, that's, I, I don't have a five second pause button on here. Be careful. Hey, Bill. No delay. I, I was wondering if you could, I, I, I was wondering if maybe you could give us like a traffic uh, update and time update while we're getting started off here. Yeah, sure. So, it's, uh, I'll do, I'm in central time zone. So if I was in central time zone, I'd reset yeah. and say something like, it's 11.02. That's two minutes past the top of the hour, 58 minutes top of the next hour. We got traffic and weather coming up on the eights and coming up at noon. We got Boomer and Floor Wax. But before that, we're going to head over to our friends over in Levittown, Pennsylvania, Poison, and have nothing but a good time. <laughs> Woo! All right. <laughs> there we go. Mike's a big Poison fan. Who isn't? <laughs> Uh, Mike, me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the heavy metal music. All right, you look like a headbanger, Josh. I am a headbanger. All right, and you're you're from you're down in Nashville now, right, Bill? I am. So you got tons of great live music there and food in the works. So generally, when there's not a pandemic, yes. Are things opening back up down there? Yeah, our governor decided uh, last week that he had cured COVID. So everything's opened up now. So uh, we're, we're uh, you know, I've got my, uh, my Pfizer microchip. My operating system has been upgraded to 5G. So uh, feeling pretty good about that. It's awesome. Awesome. That's, that's great. Well, let's, let's talk about today's show, shall we? Let's dig in. So let's, let's dig in, guys. So welcome to Distributors Helping Distributors. I'm Michael Mahoney. I'm joined by my partner, Josh Fry, and our guest today, uh, Bill Petrie. For those of you who are, who are new to the show, don't know us, I come from outside the industry. I'm a CPA. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've built and sold several companies. I've coached dozens of small businesses. Josh is a 25-year promo industry veteran. He's a perennial multi-million dollar producer. He's coached hundreds of promo industry reps and has a lot of company stores. Uh, which we've talked about on some of our other shows. We like to have fun. We like to break the formulas, do things a little bit differently, and share our lessons learned with the other distributors like you guys. Um, we also run, we're in addition to being frontline promotional products distributors like yourselves, we offer a coaching program for elite distributors. When you join that program, you're part of a community of promotional products industry veterans who are sharing best practices and learning from each other and also part of a smaller accountability group roundtable to help you stay on track with your priorities and help you, you know, grow your sales. So as, as I have spoken with hundreds of promo products distributors this past year, a common theme keeps coming up and that's what's led us to today's show and, and that's dealing with adversity, right? So uh, Bill just mentioned, you know, the governor of the state you know, curing COVID and things opening up, which is, which is great news, you know, but uh, over the past year, I think the government lockdowns, the role of the media, the disruption of normal life, separation from society and our normal routines uh, has really resulted in a stress that's exacerbated, you know, what's already, the life is already challenging enough, right? And you guys have shared with, with Josh and with me, a lot of stories, health issues, with yourself or family, emotional issues, financial struggles. We kind of hear it all. It's like the, the neighborhood barber, 
you know, we start talking to people, we hear stories uh, because it affects your business. It's really hard when you're doing the work that we do to separate your personal life from, from your business. And, um, you know, everyone goes through ups and downs, peaks and valleys, even super successful people who are in the public eye. So the question is, you know, how do we push through? What's a mindset that we can learn or learn from to adapt to the situation and, you know, and forge ahead. So, you know, each one of you has a story. I encourage you, if you're interested or willing, you can share, you know, your story or, you know, same things that you've learned in, in the Q and a as, as we go forward. While our guest today, Bill, you know, knows his way around the industry. What you may not know is Bill's own story about his promotional journey, promotional products journey, and how he has had to overcome curveballs and obstacles thrown at him and get back up, forge ahead, and make a success of, of himself and of his career. And, and trust me, Bill's story will definitely leave you inspired and motivated and, and ready to tackle you know, your swag sales. So uh, aside from the great life lessons learned, Bill's going to share a few industry tips and tricks when it comes to content marketing and the promotional side of things. So we've got a lot, uh, a lot to share in, in today's show. So let's see what we can take away from Bill's stories. And I encourage you as always to uh, share your, celebrate your wins, your successes, and celebrate any uh, questions that you have or share any questions that you have for Bill. So Josh, I want to, I want to bring you on and ask you, you know, what, what motivated you to bring Bill onto the show today? Uh, you know, lack of foresight. Uh, <laughs> I heard he was a former DJ and he had a great, you know, DJ voice and I was, uh, he does, I was waiting for that opener and it, he really nailed it. Great job, Bill. Um, no, you know, I have met Bill and known him through, uh, industry circles. Uh, we've met at the PPAI Vegas show before, and I know he's a marketing thought leader speaker in the industry. And, uh, I originally reached out to him actually to talk about maybe, maximizing profits in your business or marketing or some sort of a promo industry topic. And then he and I started to dig into the discussion. He's like, you know, uh, I've got, I've, you know, it hasn't always been easy for me. I've got a, you know, some, some serious challenges that I've faced in my life and had to overcome to get to where I'm at. And I'm like, Ooh, will you share that? Do you feel comfortable sharing that? Because, you know, this, this show, this webinar started as a, as a pick-me-up, as a way for us all to stay positive and forge ahead, especially when the pandemic hit. And now we're at a point where the pandemic is hopefully wrapping up and we're still trying to get our bearings. A lot of us have been, you know, kicked in the gut and trying to just recover or regroup. And, you know, what's the mindset to kind of get back out there? And so I thought the topic would be particularly interesting. And obviously, the bill is an industry pro and can give us a few tips not just with his mindset, but also maybe to help us connect with our with our buyers as we get back out there. So that's a very short, short, short way of saying we're psyched. Psyched to have you, Bill. <laughs> well, we've got it. So let's do our poll, Josh. Uh, we'll throw up a poll, get everybody's uh, feedback, get you guys engaged. So, guys, when you when you fall into a valley, you know, in life, uh, you know, you hit uh, the roadblocks. What do you do to shift your mindset? So. We gave a few options, you know, lean on a mentor, lean on my faith, focus on things I can control, exercise or physical activity. My mom's personal favorite, clean the house. Uh, all the above or uh, none of the above. Or, you know, you're, again, you're free to uh, throw some uh, answers into the, in the Q&A as well. So, Mike, what about you? You know, um, I think for me, there's two things that have been helpful. One is, uh, is just physical exercise, just getting out and, uh, and, and getting my heart rate up, getting some exercise. The other thing that's really helped me a lot is uh, focusing on service to others. So, you know, I, I participate in some service programs, especially internationally. And I found that working with people who are far less fortunate has helped me to appreciate my own situation and have gratitude for, you know, for what I have. So that's, that's very helpful to me. That's awesome. I know we're going to so, ask Bill the same. Go ahead. We, we are. Here you go. Me, so here time. you go, Bill. I'll, that, yeah. You know, a million things. You know, I don't know if you want me to launch into my story or what do you, what do you want? Why here, don't, why don't, uh, here, why don't we, uh, yeah. So why don't we share, uh, no, let's see share the results. results here and see what people said. So what do you make of this, Bill? I think that's smart. I think anytime you can focus on things you can control is always a, a good thing. Any Whether you're worried about something or, or mm -hmm. trying to overcome adversity. I think that's always, always smart uh, to do. Um, you know, everybody's gone through 
adversity. Every, every person I know has gone through adversity, whether it's personal, professional, a lot of times those get woven together. Uh, I, I, my very, I'll try to give the quick reader's digest version of this, but, uh, I got in the industry in 2000 when I joined Halo right before the, uh, the bankruptcy and I worked there, you know, I always joke that uh, I was a really great employee at Halo for seven and a half years. Unfortunately, they expected eight, uh, the last six months I worked there, I didn't do anything. I hated my job and I decided to do nothing. I decided that I don't, I, I was paralyzed by fear. I was paralyzed by the unknown. I was miserable in my job. I had, it was 2008. So my, I had six year old twin boys um, and, and a mortgage and, and you name it. And so my, my tactic was, since I was unhappy in my job was to do nothing, which <laughs> Not a great long-term strategy for anything. And uh, I, uh, I, uh, I got fired. I got canned. Um, and I will always say Halo was exceedingly kind to me on the way out. I, I did some great work those seven and a half years. Um, but it kind of was a wake-up call to me to really take control of my own life. And so that's what I really liked, you know, control the things you can control. Um, I, you know, if I could go back in time, I wish I would have acted and, and actively looked for another job rather than just sit there and assume someone would pluck me out of my promotional products obscurity and hand me a bunch of money because it didn't happen that way. Um, I mean, so, you, you know, that, that taught me to really always focus on things I can control, but then also, no, I knew at that point, it was a kick in the pants. I need no one would ever outwork me again. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest. I'm not the funniest. I'm not, you know, I'm not any of those things, but no one will ever outwork me. And that was a huge lesson I learned there. But, you know, I, I always refer to, you know, we all have peaks and valleys. We talk about valleys. I have referred to this two year period from, from 2014 to 2016 uh, is the, uh, the 24 month decade. Cause I think I aged about 10 years in a two year period because I had, I lost my, I was working at a company called Guy Brown. I lost my job for no reason. We had done great, great work, but they affiliated um, their office products business because they were a minority company with Staples and Staples didn't want my little promotional products division. So I found myself out of a job at 45, 44, whatever it was. And that was kind of a bummer. Then four months later, my brother-in-law, who uh, uh, was hit as he and his wife were walking, hit by a car and dragged to his death. Um, while my in-laws are on their 50th wedding anniversary trip in Italy, they had to come home for that. I had to give the eulogy at his funeral. And to compound things, they are both he and his, his widow um, their special needs. They're mentally challenged. So the odds that they would have found themselves Married in the first place was a miracle and to have that taken away from them was really, really difficult. And then uh, about five months after that, I ended up rupturing my Achilles as I was launching a little bit of a consulting business. I did it in Vegas. Uh, I will say I was sober, um, but I was skipping. So a lesson, when you're 45 years old, don't skip sober in Las Vegas. You'll blow out your Achilles because I did. Mike, are you heed that advice because you're a professional skipper. I love skipping. I didn't realize it was so dangerous, though. Uh, I I didn't either until I you know when I got back from uh, when I got back from uh, Vegas and my my uh, surgeon said he goes this is what we call shredded. We're going to take two horse tails and have to weave that back together. Oof. Um, but I had a I had a moment during that time is like do I I had seven or fourteen meetings set up over the course of two days that was going to make or break what I was doing, and do I stay and do it on crutches and in a, in a rascal? And that's exactly what I did. Then my mother-in-law got diagnosed with breast cancer. And then like the capper of all this, and this is all in a two year period, the capper of all this and where I'll spend the most of my time talking about adversity was um, my, uh, my wife suffered a sudden cardiac arrest in our home, literally about 10 feet from where I'm sitting and I have twin boys. One of them was out with some friends. One of them was here and found my wife and her heart had stopped. Um, and I had to give my wife CPR in front of my son and not knowing if I'm going to save her life. And thankfully I was a lifeguard. So I knew kind of what I was doing. Um, but I, you know, called 911. She, her you know, paramedics came in and, and she uh, had stopped breathing for six and a half minutes, which I mean, she was dead technically for six and a half minutes. And 
you know, you go through something like that and this invasion in your house and 10 people coming in and putting up Klieg lights because I, I was great in, in the moment of knowing what to do and doing CPR, but I couldn't figure out how to turn on the overhead light where the fan is because it's like, just like everybody's house, it's some weird combination of pull this and flick that on. I couldn't figure that out. They'd actually bring lights in. And in riding to the hospital, um, getting my kids with some friends, and wondering, you know, she had been shocked twice with the defibrillator. They got a pulse back. Then they had to do it again in the, in the uh, emergency, in the emergency vehicle while we're heading down to Vanderbilt Medical Center. I live in Nashville, about 10 miles south of Nashville and Franklin. Wondering, I'm going to have to call my in-laws and tell them their, wife, their daughter's dead. And I'm going to have to tell my kids, you know, my your mom's dead. And I'll never forget, you go into, you know, it's one of those moments we all have them where a million things are happening at once, but because you're in that crisis moment, you have just incredible memory of every little thing you're processing so many pieces of information. And I remember they, they took her back in an emergency area. They said, we'll be back in a half hour. I mean, on the nose, 30 minutes later, they came out and it was a, a, a two nurses and they said, come with me, come with us. And I'll never forget this walk. It was down this corridor and it's a horrible hospital, that institutional setting, bad linoleum. And they opened this door to a room and, I'll, and I paused and I thought, this is the room they're going to tell me my wife's dead. They're going to tell me that right now. And they didn't. They, they explained uh, that uh, they could not get her, uh, revive her out of consciousness. She was still in a coma. And they were going to take her up to the cardiac critical care unit on the fifth floor. So I, they said it was going to take a couple hours to get her set up with all the thing, the interventions they were going to do. I called my in-laws and said, I think you, you need to come. I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. And then I'd held everything together. And it's Vanderbilt University. It's a teaching hospital. And so two doctors, older doctors come out, older for me at least, doctors come out. And then this one younger Doogie Hauser came with them kind of trailing along and they're going through what they're, what they knew. They didn't really know what had caused it. Um, they didn't know what had caused the, the, the cardiac arrest. And they said, well, what we're doing is we're putting your wife in what we call hypothermic coma, which means we're going to lower her body temperature to about 88 degrees. And I kind of interjected and said, well, why would you do that? And this is when Doogie Hauser decided he needed to show off his knowledge and decided to tell me, we do that to preserve whatever brain function might be left. Wow. And that's when I lost it. Um, so long story short, um, they tried to pull her out of the coma on, this would happen on Friday night. They pulled her out of, they started pulling her out of the coma on Sunday and, you know, touch and go, you, you know, she, she, she didn't know who I was, but I said, I seemed familiar. She thought the president was Ronald Reagan at the time. Um, she remembered she had kids, but couldn't remember she had boys or girls. And it was a lot of just the, 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 the side effects of the, the being in the coma wearing off. And over time, she's able to move her extremities and become fully cognizant. And, you know, she's truly a miracle because, you know, she spent 11 days in the hospital has a, um, has a, uh, a defibrillator and a pacemaker implanted in her, her chest. When people suffer a cardiac arrest outside a hospital setting, uh, 6%, only 6% live. That's just wow. the number. And then of the 6%, about 85% have a severe either uh, physical or neurological disabilities. And she has none of that. She was a speech pathologist in the school district before. She is a speech pathologist in the school district now. And so, you know, she was truly a miracle. And that's, I remember sitting in that hospital room thinking, how much more can I handle? How much more can I handle? And, and that's when I really started kind of figuring out how, how am I getting through all this? Because I'd have people saying, I don't know how you, you're doing this. And like, so you just, you just do. Bill, is this the is this the first? I mean, that's uh, an incredible story, and I'm glad to know that you know we're all glad to know that your wife has you know, has pulled through this the way she has. And uh, thank you for sharing that; it's very personal. Yeah. But uh, is this the first time? You know, this series of events that happened was this the yeah. first time in your life you had had that much trauma? Right in, in that short a period of time, yeah. I mean, you know, I think we've all had like a, a, a day where nothing seems to go right. right, or a month right. or something like that. But 
this just seemed like every time we'd start stabilizing, something else would happen, whether it was professionally or personally. And, you know, I actually started writing things down at that point. Uh, Cause I know I said, you know, now that I think things are okay, at some point, I think it's my duty to share this with others who sometimes do feel despondent and feel like, you know, we all look at Facebook or social media and what we see is everybody's highlight reel. That's what everybody puts out there, how awesome their life is. And <clears throat> I'm just a big believer that, you know, that, that we need more authenticity. And so I made a decision very much right then and there. And it was very much in line with what I was doing anyway, professionally, just to, I'm going to share this stuff and, and it's painful at times. And I don't, I don't share the story as a kind of a truncated version of it, um, but I don't share it often in a public setting because I do get emotional about it. I, I can put myself immediately back in that hospital room, seeing my wife with literally eight different IVs going into her, keeping her alive and, and not a great place to go visit. Um, but I do feel it's a responsibility to, you know, when people say, man, you, whatever success I've achieved, whatever people deem a success um, it doesn't come easy. It's all, there's always adversity, whether it's losing clients in your business, whether it's having to completely shift your business because of a pandemic or it's um, losing your job for no reason like I have right. or losing your job for cause like I have. Um, <laughs> what what, what was your, I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot between two years, yeah. a lot, you know, getting fired, your brother-in-law, yep. your Achilles, your mother-in-law and then going through that with your wife and yeah. just dealing. So like, what, what was your mindset to push through? Like what, what, what were any, any tips you could share? Yeah. A few things. One is we never lost our sense of humor. Um, I absolutely have gallows humor. Um, in fact, my wife does too, thankfully. And so we live in this bucolic anywhere, America, USA, small town of Franklin, Tennessee, and every year, except for a COVID year, they would do, uh, we do, they do a, a living uh, Dickens Village Christmas, 150 characters strolling around Main Street, so on and so forth. Well, we found the year, the year this happened in 2016, we found the character of uh, the ghost of Christmas future who looks like death. And we had my wife take a picture of her <laughs> holding his scythe with her foot on top of him because she cheated death. And that was in our Christmas card. And you'd be amazed how many people were offended, but that type of humor got us through. Love it. Wow. That, that gets you through. Um, and so that's number one is don't, don't lose your sense of humor because it's so easy for life to beat you down. Don't lose your sense of humor. It reminds, it reminds me of the famous quote when Reagan, President Reagan yeah. uh, was shot and he's, they're wheeling him into the hospital and Nancy Reagan comes out to his side and he looks up at her and says, you know, honey, I forgot to duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then he asked the doctors, I hope you're all Republicans. Right. <laughs> so, um, I think that's number one. Number two is stay positive. Even in the darkest moments, there's always, even in the worst situation, there's always an element of good. And that element of good might just be a lesson learned. That might be it, but there's always an element of good. And when I say stay positive, to me, that's be realistic, um, but see the situation clearly. It's not just the bad. Um, it's also not just the good. You know, I don't love everybody who, I don't love people who are in a bad situation and all they're singing is rainbows and lollipops you know, it's being realistic about the situation, but staying positive, things are never as good or as bad as you think they are. They never are. And so if, if God forbid my wife had passed away, you know, I still had a tremendous support system and I still had my in-laws and I still had my children and, and, and it could be worse. It always could be worse. And so try to, try to stay positive. Um, I make peace with situation. That's the third one. I always make peace with the situation. It's kind of what the poll um, suggested earlier, you know, control the things you can control. The situation is what it is. There's things out there, external forces I will never be able to control. I'll never be able to, um, you know, I always joke when people try to control things that they really can't. And, the, and I love analogies. I've never met an analogy I didn't like. And I always say to my kids when they're doing things like that, I said, why don't you just go to the ocean and scream at it to turn left? 
Cause that's about the amount of effectiveness it is. There's things you control things you can't. So make peace with the situation and don't feel sorry for yourself because when you say, feel sorry for yourself, you start sabotaging your own ability to get out of it. You know, when it starts, why me, this is unfair. Why wasn't somebody else, you know, she was too young, whatever it was. My wife was 46 when that happened to her in great shape. Why did that happen to her and not the guy who eats, you know, 14 bags of Cheetos every day? Because it just did. That's why. There's nothing explaining it. It just does. So when it's something outside of your control, it's not forces conspiring against you. It's not because you didn't eat your Wheaties that morning because sometimes things just happen and they suck. You know, feeling, feeling sorry for yourself, all that accomplishes is, is making you feel even more miserable than you are. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's amazing because it's so much obviously easier said than done. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, to compartmentalize even in a situation, situations like the ones you were going through is difficult, even on the, on the business side of things, oh, yeah. you know, you lose a client, you hit with a pandemic. How do you not freak out or, you, you do. Know? Well, and, and a lot of people will say, you know, why do you share this stuff? I mean, and it's not an ego thing. I, I share it because I really believe that being transparent and sharing adversity really does help you in business. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'll give you four quick reasons why. Number one, transparency fosters trust. If I'm with a client and I'm sharing something really bad that happened to me or whatever, they know that, or something good too. They know that I'm going to be very honest with them the whole time. This is good. This is shit. This is great. This is whatever. So um, when you're willing to share the good and the bad and ugly at all times, you're always, the clients will know you're always taught like it is in, in today's society. People want that. Nobody wants the games. Nobody has time for that. Number two, being authentic totally moves you into the present. You're better in, you're better uh, able to make informed and enlightened choices. Um, things that really uplift you and, and help others. And when you live in that present, you can really in, experience one interaction at a time despite the extraordinarily disruptive nature of our society and technology. So it really allows you to be in the present. Number three, I believe honesty sets the tone for your work culture and the type of work that you do. When you're honest, you're forthright, you're candid, you're authentic, you're vulnerable. That sets the tone for the work you're going to do with your client. And last, it makes you more human and more approachable. It really ignites the human connection. I've given this session before and or given a session about this where I spend a really deep dive into that 24 month decade. Right. And I walk out of there feeling like I've just gotten the shit kicked out of me that I mean, I'm emotionally exhausted and fried. And I, you know, people, how do you think it went? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. But the feedback I get is you are so approachable. And that's, that's so refreshing. And so being approachable, it, it draws clients to you and it opens that door to vulnerability, like that highlight reel versus the real world that uh, we, we talked about earlier. So that's be- I think that. Those are be- yeah, beautiful lessons learned. I think super valuable. And I, I agree in terms of the importance of transparency and, and, and honesty and the value to others. And I think that there's also a level of, of uh, inspiration. So when you're vulnerable or willing to share, uh, you can help others who are in similar situations. I, I had this happen uh, to me probably f- uh, 15 plus years ago. Uh, actually, longer than that. I take that back. 20 over over 20 years ago. But uh, I grew up in uh, you know for most of my y- young life and adult life uh, in a horrific uh, domestic violence abuse situation. It was pretty bad. And when it finally came out, it ended up making national news. And uh, my mom and I ended up on a couple of national Geraldo Rivera show and the Gail King show. But we talked about, we just shared our experience. And in one sense, it was cathartic just to actually be able to talk about it for once. Uh, But, but it literally, there, there were so many people who responded to the stories of, dealing with domestic violence and how to overcome it. Uh, there was a nonprofit that had helped us uh, and uh, was responsible for us basically getting on these, on these programs. It broke the, in the first show they went on, it broke the phone bank. It literally overloaded their phone bank. And like they, they were down for a little while because they got so many phone calls uh, for people looking for help. So I think, you know, it's, it certainly is, is valuable, but I think it sets a standard or a tone being authentic yeah. and connecting with people, but you can certainly inspire other well, people, which is part of why we want to do this today. Cause there are a lot of people struggling out there today. Right. Yeah. And that's 
great story and obviously sorry for child that's terrible but what good good yeah. things come from that right good things can't Absolutely. come from a horrible Absolutely. situation and Absolutely. being open and vulnerable brings me to kind of one of my later points is man you can't do it alone you cannot adversity is not this solo thing of i'm i'm bill petrie and i'm gonna figure this all out by myself when i'm vulnerable and just open up it's amazing the support that comes to me um, I, there's no way I could have gotten through that time period without the support of my family, my friends, extended industry people. Um, just, so, you know, you don't feel like you have to do it alone. And I'm, that's why I'm a big believer in sharing, you know, one thing we don't talk about in the world, people, people say, well, just ask someone for help. It's incredibly difficult to ask someone mm-hmm. for help. It's so hard to say, Josh, I really need your help here. My day, it's hard to feel vulnerable like that for me anyway. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So for me, sharing an honest story that allows people who want to help, it gives them that openness to do that. I remember when I did share about what was going through on through my, with my wife, it happened on a Friday night. I shared with like five of my friends on that Saturday morning and I didn't know exactly how I was going to like share this. Like, okay, now what do I do? I got to let people know what's going on. I'd talk to her boss and all that. And I write, I've always written, I find writing cathartic. So I decided to write a blog and that was my way of a disseminating information, but also controlling it because I couldn't respond to 85 texts a day and say the same thing and cut and paste and all that stuff. Right. And I remember Danny Rosen, who's a good friend, he had set up a, a GoFundMe um, page to help with the medical bills, which was a, a lovely, lovely gesture. And he called me, he said, you haven't shared that in your little blog. Why not? Cause I just kept this running blog. I just updated every day. And I said, I feel weird asking for that. He goes, why are you such a selfish ass? He goes, there are people wanting to help you and you're not giving them the opportunity to help you stop being selfish. And it was a real eye opener for me, the way he approached that. Cause it was selfish. You know, people do want to help. I wasn't asking for money. If you want to donate, fine. But by, by sharing that gave people that opportunity who wanted to, to help. And it helped us immensely. So. Wow. Josh, Josh, can you, can you talk about maybe in your own personal experience? I mean, how have you dealt with adversity, right? All these people are listening there. They've a lot of people are dealing with this now. What have you done as a, you know, and again, promotional products distributor, you're trying to build your own book of business and deal with things, but how have you dealt with it? Yeah. I mean, well, first let me just say, Bill, I appreciate you sharing. I mean, quite you, you know, I don't, not that this is a competition, but I have not been through the adversity that you have. And so my experience (laughs) will probably pale in comparison, but nonetheless, you know, I believe in, in this, this discussion of a mindset and certainly don't profess to, uh, you know, have the mental fortitude and strength to be able to just tackle life on my own. And so I lean on several communities and networks. I mean, obviously starting with my family and, um, you know, Mike and I, we know each other because we're part of this entrepreneurs group called EO entrepreneurs organization. And we literally have uh, entrepreneurs who get together once a month and it's basically group therapy for entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And, 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 and to a degree, that's kind of what we're doing with our, our group coaching here in the industry, which is to try to create a community of people going through similar stuff, because obviously we've all been hit by the pandemic. And the question is, what have you done with it? What have we done with it? Some people, um, you know, are a little bit more deer in headlights and what's going to happen and frozen and other people are like, kicking ass yeah, right there there are doers and they're non-doers and you know when it relates to promotional products when you have an adversity i love focusing on the things you control you lose a client time to get back to prospecting time yeah. to figure out why people would buy from you as opposed to everybody else answer that question and find the people who would want to ask that question yeah you know and then for me um I, I your idea of writing things down in a creative outlet i mean i that's very cathartic to me as well. Um, I actually, to answer your question, Mike, I know it sounds pretty standard, but I like to use exercise and specifically jogging to just clear my mind. I, it's really the only spot I can kind of zone out and just start creatively thinking about different things related to life, business, and what have you. Um, but I'm also a huge proponent of coaching. I've had you know, personal coaches in my life, business coaches in my life. I, I still do. And um, 
I actually, I, I think Mike knows this. I, I had this, uh, this one guy who uh, coached me, who was a former monk and he kind of talked about uh, lessons learned, best practices, if you will, of living in a monastery for 10 years. And then he's kind of shared some of these best practices with the outside world or the real, you know, and, you know, one of the lessons that I took is um, this concept of pushing versus allowing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times Absolutely. as entrepreneurs, as sales people, as independents, just trying to make sales and make survive, thrive, what have you, we're constantly pushing, 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 trying to control even the things that we can't control. And the idea of just taking a breath, taking a step back, letting things manifest and allowing mm-hmm. uh, has helped me a lot. And yeah. especially when I'm all freaked out and, you know, so. Yeah, I love that. I actually wrote a blog that was published this week on, on my website called Intentionally Organic. Because um, I always hear about how people, well, you have to be very intentional in the way you drive your sales and the way you drive your business relationships. And then you have people on their side of, hey, you got to let it happen naturally. You got you to gotta just let things go. And I'm a believer there's a hybrid of that, especially in business. If I don't pick up a phone or do some sort of marketing campaign, I can't expect to have the opportunity to build an organic relationship with someone. So there has to be intention, but there has to be the organic part of it too. And I think that feeds right into the adversity. You know, you lose a client or you lost your job or whatever. There's things you can control intentionally that allow those organic things to happen. Yeah. And I think on the promo side, and as we maybe we'll shift the conversation a little into the business and the strategy, you know, one of the things that Mike and I talk about regularly in our program is this idea of targeting a vertical market or targeting a niche. And really it actually starts with targeting markets that are of interest, natural interest and passions for, for someone. And so the, the idea of, if you are targeting an area that you're naturally interested in, you lose a client, well, you're already kind of playing ball there. You know who the players are. You just Mm -hmm. can pick up and it's just so much easier to pick up if you're naturally interested versus square peg round hole kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And so, you know, as it relates to, you know, maybe we can, if it's okay. uh, And Mike, I I hate when I step on your toes, but I'm going to still do it for a second and just ask, you know, like maybe you could tell us a little bit, Bill, about, your your company right now, Brandivate, yeah. Yeah. and some of the stuff that you're doing to help, especially especially on the promo distributor side of things. Yeah, so um, I'm dumb enough to uh, I I had adversity last year, just like the rest of us. I was president of Promo Corner. Um, my last name is not Moore, and there are some great people who own that company, but they had a different vision for it as well than I did. I was president of Promo Corner. And they wanted to go in a different direction. And I just, I just didn't. And so we had some really great conversations and I decided to leave. Um, I decided that it was time for me to go. I'd done some great work there and I, they, they're great people over there. And I, I love what they're doing. It just wasn't for me. So I'm dumb enough to decide to start a business in the middle of a pandemic. And so myself and my business partner, Kelsey Cunningham, we started Brandivate in uh, July of last year. And it's a complete marketing branding and advertising agency, for the most part, focused on the promotional products industry. We do have clients outside of the industry, but for the most part, it's the industry we know she grew up in and I've been in for 20 plus years. And uh, we work with both suppliers and distributors. On the distributor side, we really focus more on um, uh, helping accelerate sales uh, through uh, targeted marketing efforts. Um, We do some business coaching talked about that, Josh. And then we also do some social media management as well on the, on the distributor side, on the supplier side, there's about three or four suppliers we work with where we are basically their outsourced marketing department. So we, we, you know, we saw a gap in the industry. This is what I, what do we all do when we're whatever, whatever job you do and you're in sales, you see a gap somewhere. I must fill that gap. The gap we saw is the true lack of any sort of sophistication or elegance in terms of, uh, or if, and effectiveness of the advertising in the industry, whether it's suppliers to distributors or distributors to uh, their end users, which is very important when everybody's selling the same products from the same suppliers at about the same price to the same target audience. It's not an easy thing to do. So you guys have to answer that question of why would anyone buy from me? And we try to help distributors do that uh, suppliers as well, but you asked specifically about distributors. 
And, you know, the way we've chosen to go to market, there's two of us, we're a small company. Um, so, you know, uh, it's a real company and there's taxes to be done and invoices to be done and all those type of not fun business stuff we all have to do. And so we decide, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get the message out there? How are we going to bring sales in? Because you know, I, I would, I've got two kids. I'm going, they're going to college in two months or three months or whatever, both out of state. You all can do the math on that. Um, so I, I do need to make money. Sure. And we decided uh, the way we'd go to market is really through content marketing. And that's, I think, what you were leading into. To can, can, you, can you define content marketing? Bill? Yeah. Yeah. So... Content marketing is my, I'll give my definition of it. There's all sorts of ones on your portable Google machine people can pull up. My definition is, is providing value, establishing expertise in a non-threatening, non-salesy way that establishes um, who you are and why people would want to work with you. That's, okay. that's and, it. So and, could, that could be blogs. That could be, so the way we do, we have blogs we put out, we do podcasts, we do, but we also do fun things as well. We do something every Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Today Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. It is. Yeah. Called, so called Wondering Wednesday. We pick something from either of our youth. My business part, I'm 51. My business partner's 36. So we have very different perspectives of what our youth is. Um, but we pick something <laughs> from our youth and just say, you know, we wonder whatever happened to, and it's kind of fun to have people engage that way. We create an interactive playlist every Thursday. We put 10 songs. She picks five. I pick five. There's a theme. It's on Spotify and we have people add to it. So we have a lot of that type of just fun type of things. So people can get to know our personality and who we are. People still like to buy from people and brands they know, like, and trust. But then we do put out a, a blog every Monday that's a give. There's no ask, you know, and look, and what, if you look at all the marketing we do, there's no ask. We're just giving this. So if you don't like the blog, that's fine, but I'm not asking you to buy anything. It's just, here's a blog, read it or don't. Here's a podcast, listen to it or don't. Every Friday we do something called the brand of eight beverage of the week. I've been doing a beverage of the week every Friday at three 30 central for six years. So we share a beverage with in wax poetic about it. Sometimes we have sponsors uh, in, in the industry who, who we, they, they, it's hilarious. Their drinkware there. It's the best. I honestly, it's the best idea I've ever come up with. <laughs> um, awesome. So a lot of it, it's all give marketing. So we reserve one day a week, Tuesday. That's our ask day. So that might be like yesterday for the first time in a few weeks, we put out something. I'm like, I want to get more subscribers on our YouTube channel. So I came with a little ad and threw it out there. That's our ask day. So that might be the day. So it's give, 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 uh, ask, or as Gary Vaynerchuk would say, jab, 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 punch. So it's a lot of give marketing. And that's what I believe uh, content marketing should be. It's not asking things. It's not salesy, but it's such a great way to establish your expertise without saying you're an expert. You know, I'm a big believer. If, if, if you're in, if you're in a room and someone says they're the coolest person there, I guarantee you they're not the coolest person there. Right. If you have to start telling people how much of an expert you are, trust me, you're not an expert. Well, if you have to tell people you're creative, you're not that creative. Other people get to decide that you should put things out there that lead them to that conclusion, but you can't just tell people that. So guys, and I'll open this up for, for, for both of you. I like to kind of hear from, from Josh and, and you, Bill, but so, you know, most of the uh, distributors who are joining us today are, you know, solopreneurs, right? Yep. One person shops. And in my experience in talking with them and because of this show, Josh ended up talking to, I don't know, a hundred distributors a month from all over the country, right? So get a kind of a good sense for what's going on. And I always ask the question, how do you differentiate yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, we even covered this on a couple of our shows, but the answer 99% of the time is along the lines of customer service. I just give amazing service or something, some derivation thereof, right? Mm. And so my question is, how can we, you know, use content marketing mm -hmm. to somehow distinguish ourselves, give people a reason to buy from us versus, you know, anybody else? Josh, you want to go or you want me to yeah, Josh. On? No, I want you to go, Bill. <laughs> All right. And then I'll so, chime in. So, yeah. when, okay. when, so, and I've done that too. Like I've, I've given talks in front of just distributors and say, you know, 
what one word do you use to differentiate yourself or what one phrase? And it's either customer service or creativity. Mm-hmm. And two things. One, if 70% of the people are saying we're creative or we have the best customer service, um, you're not different. You're all doing the same thing. Second of all, you don't get to decide if you have good customer service. I do. So don't tell me you have good customer service. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me you're creative. I'll decide if you're creative. So to me, that's what content marketing does. It allows you to, maybe you give a case history where something went horribly awry because nothing ever goes wrong in the promotional products industry, right? And in order, never. Right. But you give an example where something goes wrong and how through great communication with a client, you save the day. So you give an example of customer service when something went wrong, because that's the only real proof. I don't need good Mm -hmm. customer service when things going right. I don't want to talk to customer service. But when something goes wrong, I want responsiveness. I want action. I want to feel taken care of. I want solutions, right? And I want it fast. So maybe you use a case history to do that. In terms of creativity, again, I think that's a dangerous word because it's subjective. It's art. So to answer your question, I would push back Okay, great. Everybody has good customer service. Why else? Uh, that, seriously, that's exactly how I would approach it. Okay, why? Well, we're so creative. Sh- okay, everybody says they're creative. What right. else? Yeah. But sharing, so to your point, sharing stories is Absolutely. is a way to provide evidence of that. And well, people can visualize it too. They can, you give them something they can imagine yeah. and, and sort of see in their mind's eye, right? Look, I can tell yeah. you never, don't, don't drink orange juice after you've brushed your teeth. And if you've never done it, you'll be like, why? But if you've ever drinking orange juice after you brush your teeth, you'd be like, oh, yeah, bad move. Mike bad. doesn't brush his teeth. So, uh, <laughs> so to me, it's, 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 it's establishing that expertise without – look, people buy stories. They don't buy bullet points. So if, I give, if someone gives me a, thing, a, a little bullet point of list of, of they're responsive, great customer service, they're creative – that's awesome. If someone gives me a case history and shows me how they solved a specific client problem by being creative or by leveraging customer service, now you've got my attention. So Nor- Norma, and, and- hi, Norma's asked a question here, Josh. Uh, so hi, Norma. Yeah. I, think, I think Norma's in New York, if I've got that right. But hi, Norma. So Norma wants to know, how do you use an example you know, in an elevator pitch? Or do you? Um. I wouldn't. So, so mm-hmm. if you're talking about an elevator pitch, like, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do for a living? And we all right. fall into that. Well, Texas, I decorate yeah. this, that pencils, pens, shirts, mugs, t-shirts, caps, blah, blah, blah. Okay. The way I would always answer that question is pick a couple of your clients that people would recognize. Someone, someone asked me companies like X and Y hire me because I am able to effectively use marketing vehicles to move their target audience to action. Okay. Yeah. I can, it, say, that. I can say you wake me up at three seventeen in the morning, Bill, what do you do? Companies like A and B hire us because we create specific marketing vehicles that move their tar- target audience to action in tangible ways. Period. You know, from my experience, and I, I think part of it is the key, the key word is experience. I know that if I'm sharing my experience and by showcasing stories or case studies, as you suggested, Bill, mm-hmm. which, which we do, it, it will speak for itself. And I yeah. drop in a few company names that Absolutely. I have that experience with, and then it lends instant credibility. It you know, does. so the idea of, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I guess as I've gotten older and maybe just, I'm, I'm just not as sharp as I used to be. I like to be able to get into rhythm by doing a rinse and repeat of my, my pitch. And so <clears throat> when I start to target like a niche or a vertical and I speak their language, I can kind of talk, talk the talk that their industry is about. It immediately puts me in a different light than, than somebody who may say my customer service is great or my creativity right. or whatever. It's just straight up like, here's how you do business. I understand this is how you go to market and you get business. I can help you do that. Cause I'm I service your industry kind of a thing. I love that. And one way, real easy way to do that. I used to have salespeople who reported me and this was an idea. I came up with somebody else. So I cannot take full credit for it, but since they're not here, let's pretend I came up with it by myself. They worked in two different fields. They worked in entertainment 
and they worked in medical. Those are the two er, Those are the two verticals they concentrated on. So we got two sets of business cards when they were calling on healthcare, they were medical marketing specialists. When they were calling on entertainment, they were entertainment marketing specialists. Change your, you know, change, you're, you're in control of the conversation. Mm-hmm. When you're emailing or talking to someone, why not be a medical marketing specialist? Why not be an insurance marketing specialist? Already you're setting yourself apart from the promotional products guy. Right. Love this- it. This is what we talk about. We call it the million dollar niche in our coaching program, right? We're all about saying, I think you can be in this industry, you can be a specialist in any industry after about three phone calls with someone in that industry, literally asking them questions. You know, may I ask you a few questions and just start picking their brain. Now you've got examples, you've got some buzzwords and you only get better from there, but it doesn't take a lot to be, to be able to elevate yourself to just know the questions to ask. Uh, in that industry. Yeah. I would just suggest everybody just remember your brand, your personal brand, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you work for a smaller company or a larger, whatever, your brand isn't what you think it means. It's what your, your, your audience thinks it means. So you can't, you can tell people you're the most cutting edge distributorship on the planet. If they don't believe it, you're George Costanza. You're just telling people what you want to hear. So give people those stories, give people those examples. So they draw that conclusion themselves. Right. Josh. I love the idea of storytelling. Yeah, Mike, go ahead. I thought you had something to say. No, no, go ahead, please. No, I was, I was calling on you to hear an insight from Josh. So, you know, I, I think that, um, Again, a lot of times as we're learning, as we're, as we're coaching more people in the business, you know, it's, we're talking about a mindset, getting back out there. You know, so much of it is getting back into a rhythm. You know, we have a chance to kind of reset the, the yeah. terms of how we do business right now, whether, whether you're kicking ass or have gotten your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. And to take advantage of that, you know, there's an, to get a little bit more strategic, to pursue the type of business that you want to pursue, as opposed to just reacting to what comes to you. Well, you're going to have to go out there and go get it now more than ever, but at least, you know, go out there with a strategy. And so the idea of, of sharing stories based on your experience, is, especially if you're, if it's within an, an industry or market that you're targeting, it just makes, it just makes for almost a repeatable process. And that repeatable process on the sales side will build the rhythm to, to build the confidence, to get the mojo back, to get out there and sell more volume. I mean, I know this from my own experience. Yeah, Josh, you bring up a good point. I think, you know, everybody has been through their own personal hell this past 14, 15 months, personally, professionally. From a professional perspective, it is such a great opportunity to kind of become the business you want to be. You know, I, I, I I want to challenge everybody to kind of ask yourself, not with music on, not with on a phone call, but in complete silence for 15 minutes. What kind of company do I want to create? What kind of company do I want to have leave a legacy for? What do you want to be known for? So maybe the best way to put it is what emotion do you want your target audience to feel when they see your brand, which represents your logo? What do you want them to feel? If you start thinking in terms of that, you can really reshape. You have a blank canvas. Josh said it perfectly. You have a blank canvas right now. What do you want your target audience to feel when they hear your name or see your logo? When they think about your brand, what do you want them to feel? When you start thinking about that, and maybe it's trust, maybe it's creativity, maybe whatever it is. Now you can start tailoring your entire messaging to that to that message right there, whether it's case histories, whether it's content with shareable content, suppliers have great content that's shareable. You don't have to develop all this stuff yourself. All of it's out there, but it starts with intention. I like the, I like how you describe that with, you know, what your customer feels, Bill, because I, I think that most buyers make, and most people in general make decisions based on feelings, not on facts. Oh yeah. We, we all buy emotionally right. and justify right. logically. Right. And, and it's also great just to take the second as the entrepreneur in your own business to just like <clears throat> stop, think, be strategic. You know, yeah. Mike and I have done this and 
I know my the time we're getting here. The um, we've done this painted picture exercise where it's literally like you know go off to your quiet place uninterrupted on your own. Just just take some time to to you know envision your future as it relates to your business, your life, what have you. So there's definitely a piece of that here. Josh, uh, Hillary's got a question. I want to ask. She says, uh, what if we don't have any compelling stories? So we just spend a lot of time talking about stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from, from my standpoint, I think that if you're in the business and have any customers, then you've got some stories that you can tell. And if you're new to the business, then there are lots of stories being told through ASI and PPAI and the industry and industry blogs like like bills and, you know, and other people out there. So, you know, you were saying before you can repurpose bill, you were saying repurposing others, oh, people's, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and so most, most supplier blogs are designed to be shareable. And then, you know, Hillary, I think was, was it Hillary, 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 not every uh, case history has to be, it was doom and gloom until I arrived when I probably put it around that way. I don't mean to, it can be, Hey, here's a client I work with client X. This was their problem through some joint venturing. We developed this and the results were that there's your case Mm -hmm. history. That's your template right there. Had a client who had this type of a problem. And I always like, we joint ventured, we work together through listening and, you know, it's always a partnership. It's a very subtle way to say we partner with our clients, not I did this. It's not, man, look how awesome I am. I fixed their problem. It's we joint ventured, we worked together on this and the results were amazing. They saw a 35% increase in their trade show activity or whatever, whatever it might be. There's a case history. And I guarantee you, if you've sold one order, okay, maybe two, two orders, one of those ones has some sort of good results. <laughs> Yeah, and and just to to add to that, the there's so much being pushed out there by our supply chain, and there's no reason why we can't claim credit for that because we're selling their products. They're talking about the success of those. There's you're a part of the community, and you might as well leverage that. Whether it's the supply chain or even if you plug into a back office with other sales partners that may have success stories that you could share on to your customers. Absolutely. This is, you got us a lot to think about today, Bill. I, I, Josh, you're going to have your hands full with the summary. So you guys should be looking for the emails. Josh always sends out an email summary of the call, like show notes, you know, to the, the Cliff's notes, right? Uh, if you guys remember from high school, your Cliff's notes. But um, you've got, there's, Bill has given us a lot to work with today, a, a lot of content. So, and you know, some, Mike, I hope some of it was good. It's fantastic. In fact, <laughs> really good. They, Really this good. is the first time I haven't actually shared my screen and shared my my uh, my notes because I've been so engaged and yeah. it's it's just been amazing. Uh, but we do need to make a few announcements before we wrap up. Um, so sure. maybe sure. I'll I'll take the lead why on you, that. Why don't, you, why don't you do that, and then maybe Bill can take us out into the show with a little radio announcement to end end the show. You know, <laughs> take us out. <laughs> So for those of you that are interested in, in getting a little more strategic with your business and, and being a part of a community and learning from some of the workshops we run, we do have a small group coaching program. Our next one starts on uh, May 10th. Our next class is onboarding next week, May 10th. And then uh, we've got a, uh, our workshop is really on kind of taking a success uh, story uh, and, and how to kind of extrapolate that or expand that, that into a, uh, a tenfold process, if you will, for scaling your business. So we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, we cover a wide array of topics, um, you know, in the coaching program, everything from sales and action planning to selling company stores, finding your million dollar niche, we talked a little bit about today and time management and driving your schedule. So these are all topics that are a challenges many of us face and are trying to work through and in, in building our own swag businesses. Um, if you need to or interested in getting in touch with me or Mike, uh, I'm available at josh at swagcoach.com and Mike is available at michael at swagcoach.com. Um, this webinar, as well as all of our past distributors helping distributor webinars, uh, are, uh, are available at theswagcoach.com forward slash replays. Uh, we also have it uh, on uh, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. And then last but not least, Mike, uh, we have yeah. a Facebook group for anyone that's interested in joining our community. It's just look up distributors helping distributors. All right. 
And if you could share your feedback, guys, I put up a poll today. Just give us your feedback, what you thought of the show today uh, and, and, uh, and how we did. So, wow, this is great. I, I'm going to have to go back and, re, and rewatch. You know, we put this out on a podcast. And I love listening to it. Josh and I both go after the show and, and re-listen to these things uh, on the podcast while we're I'm exercising and walking the dog or something. <laughs> so this is, I, I'm looking forward to hearing this again. Well, I thank, you, thank you guys for, for having me on. What you're doing is great. Uh, the value you provide your community is, is fantastic. I'm um, honored to be here and I really, really do appreciate it. And hopefully I was able to offer a, a smidge or two of value along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, along those lines, really appreciate you taking the time, really appreciate yeah. you opening up and sharing your, you know, your being transparent. As you suggested, sharing your story, lessons learned, really, really appreciate it. Know you're a busy guy and uh, appreciate you taking the time to to join us today. Uh, I will definitely do a summary. We do, as Mike said, a newsletter and we're going to summarize this recap and so forth there. When does that go out, Josh? And it should go out. It's on a schedule, man. You're like, you run a tight ship. I think it's Friday. I think it's Friday. Friday. It's Friday. Friday. I think it's Friday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll also talk cool. about our next webinars, which we don't have time for today. So we'll 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 announce it there. Awesome, let's roll. So, Bill, thanks again. Phenomenal. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. It was a great time with you. Wish the best of luck to you and, and your you. your whole family. Can you take us out with your your radio DJ? The 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 top of the hour here. We're going to roll out and we'll end the show. Sure. Hey, we're rolling up at 12.02. That means it's two minutes after noon. Time for the Boomer and Floor Wax show. They're going to take you the rest away. But first, let's go back to 1978. Van Halen 1, Runner with the Devil. Woo! <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Stay healthy, everybody. Bye-bye. See you. Thanks See you. Again, Bye-bye. Bill.